Hello everyone, this is Eric and welcome to the second episode of the Frozen Duck. Today we'll talk about the in-hospital management of the avalanche victims. If you haven't listened to it, please go and listen to the first episode where we talk about the out-of-hospital management of the avalanche victims. So now we'll focus about what to do once you receive the patient in your department. Well, this is going to be mostly a continuity of the principle of the out-of-hospital with a focus on three things, trauma, asphyxia, and hypothermia. Like we talked about before, the main cause of death in avalanche victim is hypoxia, being the leading cause for about 75%. The second cause is trauma, about 20-25%, and there's about 2% of patients who die of hypothermia. Let's remember also the survival curve, because this is really important. At 15 minutes, 90% chance of survival if it's a complete burial. At 30 minutes, uh, this goes down to 30% of survival for complete burial. And at 60 minutes, depending on the study, it goes from 5 to about 20% uh, survival. So now let's say you're the ER doc uh, receiving the patient in the hospital. Keep in mind that from the time of the accident, find the victim, the time of the extraction, that the, pi- that the time the patient is transported, there's most likely a lot of time that has passed. And this we need to keep this uh, in factor in terms of our prognosis. The in-hospital management of the avalanche victim is summarized in the European Resuscitation Committee um, algorithm that was published in 2015. And I find it is a great step-by-step approach with some decision points. We expect some updates in the next few months, and if there's any significant change, we'll make an episode about it. Like any other case, resuscitation starts before patient uh, arrival at our place. Uh, For these kind of cases, we'll usually have time to prepare because we'll get some dispatch from EMS or the helicopter doctor. Since we're a tertiary center, a large team uh, is going to be involved. And on the deck, we'll have ER physicians, ER residents, ICU. If we consider uh, it might be an ECMO, surgery is going to be there uh, with involvement of the cardiothoracic surgeon. And there's also another uh, ICU team for ECMO. So lots of people and you need good preparation and good communication. Otherwise, there's just going to be a lot of people and more people does not mean a better team. I also understand that most of you don't work in a place where there's as many doctors on board, uh, but uh, you will see the same principle applies for you. Let's go step by step in terms of our priorities. So when the patient rolls in, a few things need to happen at the same time. First of all is we listen to the handover of the EMS team. They have a lot of information that is going to be helpful for us down the road. The main priority at this point is going to be to check for pulse and spontaneous breathing. Obviously, if their whole body is frozen to death or if there's any little injuries, you stop. If you suspect hypothermia, we recommend to take up to 60 seconds to measure a pulse because the patient might be bradycardic. And it's also hard to to measure a pulse in hypothermia. To assess for hypothermia, the best way is really an esophageal temperature. Uh, And if you can't get it, you can always get away with a bladder or a, a, a rectal temperature. But the esophageal temperature is the best. So moving on to our priorities, uh, of course, if the patient does not have a pulse, you need to start CPR. In terms of airway management and cardiac arrest, I'm usually satisfied with a supraglottic device. Then the patient can be tubed once he's in rusk. The rationale is that you don't want to interrupt CPR to put a tube, and a supraglottic is enough. Then the patient is going to be connected to the monitor, pads are going to be applied in case we need to shock. In terms of monitoring, I also recommend setting up a femoral arterial line. This gives a lot of information in terms of the quality of the CPR or if we reach a low flow state. 
and don't mess around putting a radial outline. The patient's going to be clamped, it's going to be cold, so it's not going to it's not going to work. In terms of vascular venous access, uh, we can live with a peripheral IV or an IO initially, but we generally move to ephemeral venous access. We can give fluids, medication, and pressors. All of this needs to be done under uh, ultrasound guidance. While we're going to do all these procedures, CPR, putting lines, doing ultrasound, so we'll designate someone to do a good examination and perform a bedside ultrasound. If the patient has a pulse, then it's like any other major trauma, and you would do your uh, usual trauma management. If the patient is without a pulse, you fall into a traumatic, uh, pulseless patient, and at this point, you can just stop uh, doing your interventions. So once you have done all of this, your primary assessment, the patient does not have a pulse, there's no significant trauma that has been identified, you've put the lines, then it is time to think. Because our main question here is, why is this patient without a pulse? Is it because of asphyxia or is it because of hypothermia? And this is going to change everything. First scenario, patient is pulseless because of asphyxia. So you get the handover or you get some history that there was no airway pocket or the the airway was compact with snow, then you think of asphyxia. So the recommendation is to do uh, the general ALS or ACLS management. You should still get a core temperature to rule out hypothermia, and you would do your usual stuff, CPR, defibrillation, if indicated, airway management, adrenaline, uh, amiodarone, if needed. Keep in mind that there's been no cases of survival if a victim has been buried for more than 35 minutes and the airway was obstructed. The second scenario for pulseless patient is hypothermia. The common definition of hypothermia is under 35 degrees Celsius, but here we're fishing for severe hypothermia that could explain the status of the patient, and it's usually uh, somewhere under 30 degrees or less. If you're suspecting severe hypothermia and the patient has signs of life, he has a pulse, he's breathing spontaneously, then you want to start rewarming this patient and transfer them to an ECMO center. And the rationale is that these patients are at risk of arrhythmia and decompensation. If the patient is without a pulse, but there's any cardiac activity, such as PEA, VFib, VTAC, then you want to continue CPR, and these patients are a candidate for ECMO. If the patient is in a systole, then the prognosis is really bad, and you want to, you want to make sure that their airway was patent uh, during the uh, retrieval. Because if the airway was not patent, then you can consider uh, stopping CPR because you could treat this as a uh, basically asphyxia and hypothermia. The other scenario is that you would have someone without a pulse in asystole, but their airway was open, so there was no uh, snow packed in their airway, there was a good pocket of snow, then we can say maybe this is a good candidate for, for ECMO. Maybe this patient you know, was with a pulse and then uh, had some air and then just froze, uh, slowly froze uh, until their heart stopped. And this is where there could be candidates for ECMO. Only exception is that you need to measure their potassium. And if their potassium is less than 8, then they should be considered for ECMO and they should be transferred to an ECMO center. If the potassium was more than 8, uh, then you could consider uh, stopping, um, you can consider stopping CPR. The rationale is that there's been no case of survival uh, in avalanche victim in a systole uh, potassium more than 8. I find this cutoff of 8 really interesting because in the hypothermia literature, the potassium level that is accepted as a threshold is usually 12, but in avalanches, it's less than 8. 
And we have studies that show, like I said earlier, that there's no survival above uh, if the potassium was more than eight. Also, what I find interesting and more as a side note is that in the in the ECMO and the ECPR, uh, some thresholds that I've seen as um, as ECPR candidate is the pH, so how how acidotic the patient is. But they don't mention anything uh, like this in the, in the avalanche guidelines. So just expanding on ECMO, uh, we get a study from Japan which reviewed the outcome of patients in severe hypothermia and cardiac arrest that they put on ECMO, and avalanche victims were associated with a poor neurological prognosis. Just Continuing in, in some some literature, there's an article in resuscitation looking at cutoff values for serum potassium and core temperature for uh, patients that were put on ECMO uh, for avalanche victims, and none of them survive with a potassium of more than seven. So this is where this level of eight comes from. Just to mention the recommendations for the use of adrenaline and defibrillation in hypothermia, there's a bit of difference between uh, which side of the Atlantic you live. So in America, for adrenaline or epinephrine, they recommend maximum of three dose until the, ba the patient is, uh, is warm until 30 degrees. In Europe, the ERC recommends to hold adrenaline until the patient has warmed to 30 degrees. One of the rationales that, well, we don't have much evidence regarding that. The second is that since the patient is so cold, the metabolism is not is not good, and once the patient is going to be rewarm, then the the metabolism is going to kick in and deliver, and then you might have too much adrenaline. I think it's okay to give one dose of adrenaline until the patient is at thirty degrees, uh, but I wouldn't insist too much on that. What I would insist though is we need to rewarm these patients or uh, think about if they are ECMO candidate. In terms of defibrillation in America, they recommend uh, to give a shock every two minutes. In Europe, they say to uh, to give a maximum of three shocks until the patient is rewarmed to 30 degrees. Just to wrap up, the management of the avalanche victim is based on the three main causes of death, trauma, asphyxia, and hypothermia. Uh, trauma, if it's incomplete burial, you will just treat it as any uh, regular trauma. If there is a trauma in cardiac arrest, then, um, then this is really bad and CPR should be stopped. Asphyxia, you treat this as a as any other cardiac arrest, according to the ALS and ACLS. And hypothermia as a cause of death in less than 2% of patients, uh, but these patients are, are, are potential uh, ECMO candidate and we can potentially salvage them. All of this is well summarized in the European Resuscitation Council algorithm, which I'm gonna put in the show notes. All right, everyone, this is Eric. I hope you enjoy it and I'm saying bless, bless.